Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Brian Frederick, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Excited to be here. Great to have you here. For anybody who was at the uh, the Austin, our first Entree Architect community annual meeting will know our, our guest here today. You enjoyed a fantastic keynote presentation uh, to wrap up the event and left us with lots to think about about with our firms and our and our clients, a topic that many of us don't really think about often. And so it's and, and it was fascinating. So I wanted to invite him back here today. Uh, Ryan Frederick is the founder and CEO of the company here, where he focuses on the the intersection of place and healthy longevity. He is the author of the best selling book. Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life. Ryan's company here advises real estate developers on how to create places to help people thrive and provides consumer content to make wise choices about where and how to live. I love Ryan's message and I love his approach for helping people live better, longer lives, which resonates with us architects. That's what we're doing too. And so uh, Ryan, when I first met you and we started talking, it was interesting because we were coming to um, to the world from two different different directions, but we were ending up in a very similar place, trying to help people live better lives. 
And so I'm really excited about coming by here and having you come by here at the podcast and, and talk a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, no, excited to be here and having uh, done the keynote at your conference, the the passion that you and your audience has, your community uh, is a better term, is quite palpable. And in my lived experience working alongside architects and, and architects as friends, I feel like it already over-indexes for passion. <laughs> Yeah. And and the desire to make a difference. And so you're right. That 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 is where our worlds intersect is how do we use these gifts and ideas to make uh make people's lives better. Yeah. Uh and and place has a really key role in all of it. For sure, for sure. And I can't wait to have this conversation. Before we do that though, um, I want to know more about you. At the conference, we didn't learn anything about you. So I I would love for you to go back as far as you want to go back. Uh, share when you discovered your passion for what you do today and, and maybe even who or what inspired you to move in this direction. Yeah, my, uh, my mom was just, uh, just in town this past weekend and my, my, uh, I live in Austin, Texas and, and, you know, hence close to the, the conference, uh, a few months ago. And, and my, we have three teenage kids and our daughter is a, uh, uh, she's a senior and she's a singer and she has a, a, a musical that unfortunately, uh, got delayed We're we're recording here in, in February. And we just had this ice storm that came yeah. through and canceled different events. But so I got, uh, my mom came in to go see the performance didn't happen, but I got a longer time, uh, with my mom catching up and she brought with her, uh, uh, a, a binder that she created, which were like my high school memories and it <laughs> wow. so particularly senior year. So it, yeah. it, it brought, brought me back. Uh, uh, and, and so my, in terms of my origin story, um, you know, I would say uh, a place which we'll get into on uh, its impact on people's lives. didn't necessarily register very, very high for me growing up. I, but I was really wired to making a difference. Um, born on the East Coast, Virginia, uh, to be exact. And then my dad got a job transfer for his company. We moved to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was about eight years old. So I grew up there um, for the duration of my time. And 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 that area then, and certainly now, uh, you know, has an earned reputation for innovation and just thinking differently. And so I was just in those waters growing up. And I went and. Uh, I did have an experience in sixth grade uh, where my elementary school teacher had a passion and her, one of her passions was she felt as though um, uh, 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 older people living in retirement communities were often forgotten about. And so she took our class and we went and we uh, played recorders and then we got ma matched to uh, a buddy. Yeah. My buddy was uh, Melba Rollins. And she was in her late seventies, healthy generally, except that she was blind mm -hmm. and didn't have any, uh, any family. And, and so, uh, I had this, and my grandparents were on the East coast cause it's more, my parents are from. And, and so it, it almost had this surrogate, uh, grandmother role with Melba, uh, with the officially we were just meeting every month or so in sixth grade organized by our teacher. But Melba and I just kept with it. So seventh, eighth grade, I'd go see her. And and uh, she, in fact, one one time even made a little squirrel for me in our crafting class. And <laughs> I didn't, I mean, it's better than I could do, but for someone blind, it was remarkable. Uh, and and so that kind of sparked, it's like, wait a second, people were living longer and she was in a place where she built community and there were mechanisms for people from the outside to come in and 
guess it planted more of a seed than I realized. Yeah. And I went on to uh, study electrical engineering at, at Princeton, did engineering internships, uh, and and then worked for a software company uh, first, well, actually investment bank for a year in San Francisco. This is right around the dot com era craze. I'm like, oh my gosh, why do people get all caught up? This business business thing's really easy. Worked. <laughs> Worked for a uh, a software company that we had uh, raised some money for this investment bank I was with and got to know the leadership team. And they said, Ryan, come, come join us. And then, you know, investment banking, I didn't have a passion for it. Hours were long. I was really interested in in, in building things, necessarily transacting. And, and so when they made this offer in stock options, I was like, I, I got off at literally the same uni exit. It was not a hard decision. <laughs> so I joined this company, we go public. Uh, it's called Critical Path. We did email for consumers, businesses, outsourced email, and it was uh, it was a ride. It was it was fun. I had these responsibilities probably more than I should have at, at my age in my early twenties. And and then there was an ethical scandal that happened in our sales hmm. and company cratered. Uh, a lot of uh, self doubt, you know, was was created for people in the company because we thought we were doing something to improve the world. Changed the world, but in fact, uh, yeah, there was some insider trading and and some fraudulent activities, and and had no idea, had no idea, and and, and so it was uh, it was a struggle, and uh, uh, then went back to business school at Stanford and and said, what do I want to do with my life? And uh, and that's when I reflected a bit and and thought, what I really care about is innovating and innovating to make the world a better place. It wasn't necessarily technology, although sometimes we sometimes think yeah. innovation must be technology. No, it can, be, it can be processes and different ways of thinking. And, and that made me reflect more. And I thought, well, what about people living longer? What about my experience with Melba? What about my experience with some of my grandparents? I got to know them as they as they aged. What about, how are people thinking about how to make their lives better? And so I wrote a note to uh, people in senior housing. I didn't know anyone, didn't have a particular passion for place at all, but I knew there were people there and this idea of design thinking where you get to observe people in their environment. I thought that would be a great way to learn just to be where older people are. And wrote these letters, only one person responded, Paul Clausen, who was the, the CEO of Sunrise Senior Living, the largest provider at the time. I flew out to go see him. He says, we don't have interns. We don't pay for interns. And I said, well, I... I think I can help. And so we worked something out where uh, I lived in my wife. I dragged my wife along. We we lived in the guest house of the Clausens. They were, he and his wife uh, at the time, they they really created assisted living. They were so passionate about it that the uh, the art in their, in their guest house was pretty similar to what you might find in a retirement community uh, <laughs> with kind of airbrushed dogs and, and so on. And, and, uh, and I, then I lived, I said, I want to live in a community. So I did, I lived a community in Atlanta for a month. And, and, uh, my wife who, who does love me, uh, she said, I don't love you that much. So she went back <laughs> to Southern California to be with her family. So therefore I was unsupervised in my late twenties in a retirement community in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, only male in my wing, only person under 75. So living I, the wild got, life. I got more attention than I've ever seen before, Mark. I, my, my confidence was riding high. I would get uh, uh, unsolicited gifts and desserts and invitations to brunches, and it was great. And so I got to see in that time how uh, place impacts people up front. And we'll get into some of those details later on, but I got to see just 
you can take someone in one environment where they maybe they're lonely or disconnected and lacking purpose and you throw them in another environment and and how it can really energize people. So I walked away from that summer feeling that um, there's some great things actually that retirement communities have, uh, but it could be better, that it needs to be rethought different ways. And so that launched me into this effort, which better part of 20 years now, Mark, almost, where I've been, uh, I've worked for private equity firms, investing in real estate, particularly uh, for uh, older people, uh, environments. And then I've worked for um, one of the largest senior housing providers based in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, Erickson Living. They, they have large scale communities. Uh, I've been on the board of, of communities, not-for-profits, for-profit. Uh, I've developed innovative models, developed a age-friendly community that I talked about at the conference called The Stories. Uh, it's a apartment building outside of DC. I partnered with a public company, Federal Realty Investment Trust. Uh, and with my company here, H-E-R-E, have worked with now groups a- across the uh, across the world, actually, thinking about how can we create better places uh, for people to thrive. And that has historically been in this uh, a senior demographic, so call it 70 plus. But uh, my book, which came out a year or so ago called Right Place, Right Time, you referenced earlier, uh, a consumer book. And so my I have a People kept nudging me, Mark. They're like, okay, <laughs> you know all this stuff. Can you can you help me out? Can you help me out, my, my family. And so I would. I'd, I'd have these calls and provide some advice and how I might look at it. And maybe in an effort to save time, which turned out to be pretty foolish, I, I wrote this book and and to help people. And and uh and, and I'm really pleased with its impact. But what it, what's happened, Mark, is it's opened my eyes to just the role of place. And how it shapes us uh, really across the entire age spectrum, uh, whether whether we how place impacts us growing up, where we choose to go to college, if that's our path, where we are uh, in our early twenties, where we settle down with kids and, and marriage, if that's the context, and then and then a- after that, empty nesters, retirees, we are impacted in, in pretty fundamental ways. So. That has led to this journey now where uh, I, through the HERE platform, uh, really, you know, creating content for people to think more deeply about, you know, these these things in different ways. And so it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I would say the, the commonality uh, uh, has been the innovation, like I described, and, and this intersection of innovation wanted to make people's lives better in, in, a, in, a, in a significant, not uh, kind of boundary way. And and I, I what I think has also happened along the journey, Mark, is I've had long uh, longer stints in the Bay Area, in in the Baltimore area, and now for the last uh, three plus years in the Austin metropolitan area, and just studying our society and where we are, where now there's more hybrid working, where we're impacted by climate change, political polarization. Uh, it's harder to make friends. Yeah. In the way you know it used to be, um, a lot of different variables. Uh, I, I think uh, almost make place even more important than perhaps it was, you know, in the past. And so that's kind of where I find myself today. Is 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 on a on a crusade of sorts, really, and in passion, trying to spark a movement around helping people make wise decisions about where to live and recognizing that. When in the context of healthy longevity, with fifty percent of kids born today in the U.S. expected to live to at least hundred, recognizing that it's important to uh, to eat well and exercise and 
uh, and so on. But actually, I think place and where you live and how do you choose to engage where you live, I think is just as important as all those. Yeah, and I want to dive into that because it's it's really interesting to hear your story, all of the innovation and all of the research and the education, sort of generally looking at just how to make uh, people have better lives, right? And research how that how that can happen, and you you um, the result of that is to focus on place, right? You didn't start with place, and then work your way out, right? You didn't say, "Oh, well, I want to focus on the place and how that affects our lives." You did all this research over 20 plus years and you landed on place. Place is the thing that matters to you. It, it's fascinating. Uh, it's been fascinating for me, Mark. With our kids, we, we talk a lot about um, curiosity. Uh, in fact, you know, it's common for people to ask uh, kids, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? Profession. Uh, you know, the question that we try to ask with, with varied success is you know what problem do you want to solve right and and i think when i look at my life's journey it's really been led by curiosity and thinking okay where where is my niche in what way can i make the world a better place even if it's just just a little bit and and where does that journey take me because you're exactly right place was not part of this i mean electrical engineering Oh my gosh, not close to, I mean, I'm a systems thinker now and I corporate, but there's all the things I learned in college. Oh goodness. Like I'm not applying much of that right now. Not, not doing much uh, uh, machine learning coding. I did at the time, but um, machine code. But, but I think what, I, what has happened is I, I do think I've stumbled on something that's almost hidden in plain sight. Right. And that is we, we get shaped by our environment much more than we shape our environment. And that's been led by, as you point out, reading scores of books and research, psychology, some of it real estate based, a lot of it sociology, uh, and and how we evaluate different things. So it's 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 it, I think it makes certain you know roles like particularly uh profound here. And much of the group that that you advise and and bring together in community, like we're directly and indirectly helping shape place, you know, right. for people. And the way I talk about it, um, as I talked about in our, in our keynote is, uh, the, 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 the framework I use is one that, that Gallup Healthway created several years ago. And that is this, this well-being index they, have. and they look at, at well-being, um, through the lens of really five areas. They, they start off with purpose. You know, do you have something that you can, um, uh, that you can point to every day that gives you motivation and meaning, typically something beyond yourself. And then uh, social connection. You know, are you, uh, do you have a set of relationships, deeper, superficial, a range of relationships that, you know, you can point to. And then physical well-being, being physically active, sleep, uh, the way that you eat. Uh, the fourth piece is is financial well being. You know, do you have the financial resources, or or are you in a path, not just your income, but also your expenses and and so on, that you're you're uh, planning for successfully for longer life. And the fifth piece is place. You know, do you have or are you in a, a spot where your preferences and needs, uh, physically and emotionally, are met by your place? And and I would say the aha that that I had through this is that. That fifth piece place, yeah, it's important for a bunch of reasons. We're going to get into that in some detail. But place also influences the prior four. Yeah. If you if you Very have much. care a lot about 
I don't know, you know, uh, serving your neighbors, let's say, um, well, it helps to be in a place where you know your neighbors, you know, or if you're in a place where, you know, here in Austin, there's a lot of things to do. Let's say part of your purpose is uh, you love playing in a band, you know, music's a big deal here. Well, it's helpful to be in a place where there are shared interests with those that are, you know, ar around you and and similar with the social connection piece. If you're in, in a spot where uh, you can connect with those around you, either through, through the proximity or some shared values. I just finished a book by Robin Dunbar. Uh, Robin Dunbar, he is attributed to the Dunbar number. It's the idea that we have, uh, there's a cognitive limitation as to how many friends we can truly have. And from a variety of different angles, he, he arrived around 150 is the number plus or minus, you know, there's a, there's, there's a curve there. Some have more, some have less. Uh, but one of the things he, he talks about uh, in his book is, 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 and he's world renowned. He's a British anthropologist, uh, wears a few different hats, but he talks about the fact that we are drawn to people similar to ourselves, not a one-to-one -one match that might be boring, but there are seven conditions he outlines. And, and, and so this idea that if you're around people that are very different than you in their values and the things they like to do, it's, it's going to be harder you know, to make friends. Whereas if you do have a number of those things in common, you're simply, you know, more like likely to be, um, uh, to, to find things in common where you're willing to invest in these friendships to get, to get better. So, uh, to get closer. And then on the physical well-being piece, place matters again, because if you want to be active, it helps if you're in a spot where you can do that easily. Uh, or, uh, again, sleep is something we're learning more and more about its impact on our overall health and, and brain, brain health too. And, uh, and so that anyway, bunch of examples with, with place and how that can happen. And then financial well-being again, places for many people, if they own their home, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest assets they have. Uh, but it's not just the asset it's, uh, it's, it's the, the expenses related to it. You know, it's the implications sometimes when you want to, if you want to sell your house, you can't necessarily soon or the environment weren't today. You know, even here in Austin, a hot real estate market, there's a lot of for sale signs. So there are it impacts, uh, you know, your life and, and the, the financial side too. So it, it becomes, in my view, this foundational piece uh, for, for healthy longevity and, and, and part of why I've named my company uh, here H E R E is because uh, there's a sense that both um, rationally, uh, but also emotionally and and psychologically, there's like I oh here this is it I this is me and 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 we've all been in places where we've lived somewhere but it's not home it's a transient place yeah. for us <laughs> and then we have places where no no this is it. This is me. This is here. This is my here, and and a level of enthusiasm behind that response, and and that doesn't happen by accident. I believe. I, I believe there is some serendipity, but we have to work for it. And 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 uh, one of the big ahas for me in this journey, uh, as an entrepreneur for sure, but also as as I think about this construct of place, is that uh, place is changing always, and and so are we. And so as a result, when we're trying to find the right place for us in a, in a given chapter in life, uh, it takes some effort and thought to think, okay, well, is where is the place I'm in and how is it changing or how has it changed? And then, you know, for us in our life journey, where are we and, and how, how are our needs, uh, uh, you know, changing you know, a, as a result? And, and it may be in some cases, it may be that 
your preferences and needs haven't changed much, but maybe your place has changed. Maybe you don't know any of your neighbors. Maybe your maybe your physical address is the same, but effectively everything's changed around you. You know, in other situations, maybe your place hasn't changed that much, but what you're looking for out of a place now changes. So it's it's um uh, been doing uh, workshops recently, actually since the keynote talk, your conference. So bringing people in to have these conversations to create a, a, a what I'm calling a right place plan. And it's been fascinating to see people really light up when they see uh, the significance of how people are living longer and how a lot of it's in our it's in our agency because north of eighty percent of longevity is linked to our lifestyle and environmental choices. Um, and so they get excited about that. On the other hand, they recognize this is these these can be complex decisions, and and uh, and so it's but it's worth it because if you make the right decision, then uh, you know you have the wind at your back. But but people because it's complex, they need uh, they need people to help them, and I think that's a, a key role of of architects as as partners. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily, accessible, and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. You you, you mentioned earlier that you are um, inspired to try to encourage people to make this a movement. Um, and I think very much that you are perfectly timed for that. You know, my, my view of the world right now, uh, coming out of the pandemic with all of the political uh, issues that we're dealing with, the, the, the societal conflict and turmoil that we're experiencing in the last five, 10 years, um, and beyond. Uh, but right now at this moment in time, I think that people are looking for that. People are looking for a way to live better, to connect better, to love one another more. I think you can see the societal shift happening before our eyes where people are talking about how do we care for one another better, right? Re- rejecting the, uh, the, the conflict that, that the television is pointing at us. And all that's real. That all needs to be addressed. Uh, but I think our society is longing to, to connect and longing to find a place to connect. And so I think you're perfectly timed. I think you need to, to continue talking because I think the people who are looking uh, for you need to find you. Uh, and I think with architects is a great place for you to connect uh, because we are already want that's our goal right that's why we became architects we want to make the world better through the, the built environment the place on which people work and live um and so with that in mind what what would you say that uh 
this community of architects can do uh, to further that mission, to further that movement, to to beyond even beyond the built environment, what can we bring into our firms to uh, to explore these ideas and to make the lives of our clients better? I think there's there's at least a couple of things as as I think about it, and just to respond uh, to your 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 comment more broadly for a moment, I think that we are in um, a uh, a a shift or a disruption in our society, and it is um, sometimes we see it politically. Uh, I'm not huge in Facebook, but I know some of the social media platforms. You know, it's almost like people can can say what they want without any uh, recourse. And so we may sometimes see the worst of people. But I think some of that stems from a, a deeper issue around anxiety and a sense of loneliness yeah. Yeah. and disconnection. And and this is, I believe this has been happening for a while with, uh, so one of, the, one of the things I have been doing for a while is, is, is reading different uh, sociologist books. So, you know, Robert Putnam often is referenced with his book, Bowling Alone came out in the nineties where he talks about there was this precipitous drop in people bowling in bowling clubs and leagues. And, and, uh, and so therefore when you're bowling, you're bowling alone. Well, this was written that, that book's a couple decades old now. And, and these trends have continued. In fact, there's a article that came out in the Washington post back in November, referencing some uh, data from the American time use survey since 2013, uh, Americans on average across all ages, socioeconomic statuses, rural, suburban, uh, urban, on average, people are spending um, close to 10 more hours alone each week than they did in 2013. This was a trend. Especially with the pandemic. And this was, and the point I'm making is before before the pandemic. Right. And so it was on this curve. I have a blog about it on the HERE website. But you can see like this, this is a trend that's been going on. And then it, it did, did elevate after the pandemic. And we find ourselves in a spot where it doesn't mean that more time alone means that you're lonely. However, more time alone means that you're not investing in spending time with your friends. Yeah. And, and, and friendships are a function of time and attention. And so if we do this as a society, I, I, I'm, I like to bike uh, to work. And, and I had an office before the pandemic and I would bike uh, down, downtown Austin. And I'd bike back. And it was fascinating to me because I would bike at night, particularly during the fall winter timeframe. And I wouldn't see any energy on the front porch. Oftentimes wouldn't see energy in the kitchens, but I would see a TV on yeah. in virtually every house. And we've had TVs for a while, but with our smartphones and streaming Netflix and Hulu, uh, there's more and more now that draws us away from others. And so I believe it's not just place, but how we choose to engage in our place. And so as architects, I think you have, um, I think, a really amazing opportunity for building, uh, continuing to build strong practices that you have, um, but also impacting people in, in, in really positive, meaningful ways. And I think it can start, Mark, by asking questions that I'm sure many, of, many people in your community already do today, but just to reaffirm it, um, people may want to immediately go to, okay, I'm, I'm remodeling. I want to add a bathroom. Right. I want to have it look like this. You know these kind of finishes. How do I go do that? Yeah, Can you give me checklist. some clever ideas? Yeah, I just think I would encourage everyone in your community to take a step back as that happens. I'd love to have that conversation, but 
but like, what are you really trying to solve for? Like, what does success look like? Like, where are you in this journey to the extent that people are willing to open up? And I'm sure many will. And then you can understand uh, this broader context for which they, you find people in their life. And, and as you have this dialogue with them, you may come up with additional ideas that they're not even thinking of. Yeah. So we, we went through this, uh, we went through remodel when we moved to Austin. I mean, bless, bless our architect's heart because I, <laughs> you know, I, I presented him a two page kind of white paper on here's the, our family values. Here's what we want to plan for. Here are the types of gatherings that we want to have. Here's how we want to engage the spaces that we want to create. And so I made it in some ways easy for him because I laid it out and he's, he would fit the, the, the archetype of the entre architect world. And, and so then by giving this lot larger mapping, he was then able to come up with creative ideas that could help solve for that. It had implications for our kitchen, had implications for where we put our, our, uh, um, kitchen table. It had implications for how we reoriented our front porch. So I think there's a number one, there's an opportunity to, to have this, this conversation around what are, what are people solving for? And at that same time, I think there's an opportunity to, to help people know, because few people do that, like how play shapes, how, how shapes our lives. And, and again, this idea that environment and lifestyle impacts greater than 80% of our longevity not that you don't necessarily want to make that the the whole uh, the main piece that you present to clients, but I think it's helpful to say actually these decisions matter. If you are more comfortable having people over, if you're more comfortable, uh, you know, creating an environment where having a dinner of four feels like a special and unique experience, and it's and, and it leads to lingering after meals, like that has implications for our relationships. So that's one piece. I think another piece uh, in this. Um, Mark is this this idea of of creating, I would say, like an agelessness in the design. And and I I think in some cases, you know, people they they do things and they 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 don't necessarily they're not thinking about the idea that this could be a home that that people want to be part of for a long time and. Uh, Taylor Davis and I are are leading uh, next week, uh, so it's we're in the February timeframe. Can by the time I think this podcast comes out, this this would have already happened. But you can look up an expert training session. It's it's riding the age wave, incorporating ageless design techniques into your practice. And I think there's things you can do. And, and Taylor is an expert in this in her practice and in Alabama. Uh, but what you can do is there are things that you can subtly do that are both attractive and also allow an agelessness to it such that there aren't stairs or bathroom design or things along the way that that in some cases some cases can push people out of a home that they are uh, emotionally connected to and is really the right place for them at that that stage um and so and i think there also are resale implications here too. If you right. only, we have less than 4% of our housing stock in the entire U S has been designed to accommodate people with even just limited, you know, mobility issues. So it's like, it's almost as if as a side, we, we weren't, we, we thought people would never uh, age in any capacity. And age design, by the way, it's not just people older, it's, it's people who are babies and, you know, or even situations where you might have uh 
you know, an high school kid that has a, turns their ankle or breaks their leg, like just for them to get around, there's things you can do to make it easy. So I think there's this, this real opportunity to, to incorporate in our, in our thinking, uh, 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 you know, ageless practices, we often describe it as, and I'm sure a number of your listeners are familiar with this, but, uh, you know, um, uh, universal design. And, and I know there are some people where they're pretty strict. They want to implement every, every element of your universal design. I, I don't necessarily, I don't, I'm not in that camp. I believe that there is an 80, 20 rule we can apply here, which ones really, you know, work best, you know, as it plays out. So I think there's, it isn't necessarily a trade-off. I think there's things you can do in a very aesthetic, attractive way. We did something simple in our house. My wife and I are in our forties. We wanted to make sure that our, our, uh, when our, our parents visit that our, it would be a, a good spot for them. So we also talked to our landscape architect and we had, uh, at one point there were gradual stairs, but there were stairs two different ways to get into our front door. And I had to pull a nice, bright guy to pull him aside and say, actually, there's, we can do this better. We can do an attractive, some might call it a ramp. It doesn't look like a ramp at all. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a stepless entry from where the car is. That's attractive, same stone. So there's, there's an opportunity, I think, to, to level up what's possible here um, that makes our homes uh, have a, effectively a, a longer functional life. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that people should be there forever, but allows the option such that people don't feel like they're forced out of homes that they love. Yeah. And like you said, it it adds value to the home as well. And so that's attractive to your clients as well. I, I am very, very excited and looking forward to your expert training session. That's part of the Entree Architect Network. Um, that'll be in the archives, you know, uh, forever. And uh Taylor is fantastic. Taylor is one of the original members of Entree Architect. Uh, back in 2013, when we opened the membership, she was one of the first to join. Uh, and she's an expert on aging in place. And that's what she does. She designs homes that are universally designed. So to, to bring you and Taylor together to put together a session for us that can take all of this knowledge that you have in terms of place and, and longevity and health and financial well-being and combine it with an expert who who is designing homes uh, to be universal and to be able to age in place is going to be so valuable for our community. So I appreciate you for doing that. I'm excited. She's great. So we we share a common alma mater. We both went to Princeton. We're Princeton Tigers. And she had reached out to me before you and I connected a month or so earlier. And I could just sense her passion and energy around this subject. And, and I think as an architect, uh, you are particularly when you know when you get closer to your client, you're a really key advisor, and 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 good advisors have and sometimes need to lean into courageous conversations. And and an example of that might be someone that is looking at their house and they do want to create this ageless design we're talking about, but they may not be in the right physical place. You know, I, I didn't mention this so far in the podcast, but I will for a moment. When I say place, place. From a physical perspective, it's multi-tiered. Yeah. It's your four walls, but it's also your neighborhood. It's are you in an urban, rural, suburban setting? What metropolitan area are you in? What 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 state? What region? What country? What region of the world? I mean, this, this has multi-layers to it. And so there are instances where someone might say, I love my home, but if they're really honest with themselves, it may not be the right place for them. 
Yeah. And so there may be some opportunities for architects to have a conversation like, you know, this is going to be, it's maybe not the right place. If you're, as I think about it, maybe it's too involved to make the changes, but how could we find the right place and then make modifications to that next place to truly make it work well for you. And, and that's, that's going to be part of what, uh, uh, what we'll get into uh, in, in the expert training session is these different ways you can be of help to, you know, to your clients. Uh, but Taylor's fantastic and so knowledgeable and has really built this, this very successful and specialized practice that should be happening across the country. Right. And, and even if, even if you um, decide not to specialize in it, just to have the ability to have that conversation, oh, okay, you fit in this bucket. Let me talk about how I can be helpful I think there's going to be enormous opportunity uh, in part because uh, you know, a lot of the traditional retirement communities that are out there are not places people want to go to, or they're places that people don't want to go to earlier than they have to. And in some cases, it's a matter of finances that can be very expensive in these places. So this idea of, of creating options thoughtfully is going to be really significant for our society and really across the country. Yeah. So if members want to go back and, and watch that, that session, it's uh, February 15th, two thousand. 23. So whenever you're listening to this, that's the session that you want to go check out. It's called uh, Riding the Age Wave. And so you can check that out at the Entree Architect Expert Training Sessions. Ryan, before we wrap things up, I wanted to get your take on the question that I ask all my guests. Uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think as a, as a small business owner myself, um, I, I think one of the biggest things is being very mindful of where your time and energy. Uh, I uh, did this starting about five years ago. I, I track all of my time and it's pretty easy now with a little app, you know, clock in, clock out around different initiatives. And I think it's, it's really helpful as a small business owner, just you have limited bandwidth, you have limited resources just making sure that you're um, on top of where you are, where you're spending that. Um, there's a there's a really popular book right now, uh, last few years, uh, uh, called Atomic Habits. Yes, and and James Clear is the author. I uh, sold like ten million dollars, ten million copies. It's a, a few more than I've sold of my book, and he. But it's all about these habits. How do you get these habits in the in the right places and and I and I mentioned that because uh, I think we are a function of our habits, and I also think to tie it back together, I think place is is a habit. Like if we if we set up the right place, or even what, even how we lay out our furniture in different ways, where we put our TVs, where we put our phones, there are ways that we can kind of hack. We can life hack. Yeah, are are ways to nudge us towards uh, being better versions of of ourselves. And so I think that uh, I would just encourage people to, to to lean into what are those right habits that are formed, and that requires some level of attentiveness to well, what 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 are my habits today? Where is my time going? Because um, I know for in in my case, it's made it's been uh, made a tremendous impact. That's great advice. Do you have a recommendation on an app that we can use to to track our time? Yeah, there's a number of them out there. Yeah, the one that I have uh, works works fine for me. I'm looking at it right now. It has, um, it is, oh gosh, it has like a little, little time thing. And then it, and then it has a, uh, uh, the backdrop of a, of a, of a pig. 
like kind of piggy bank time timestamp. I, I can't recall actually the name of this one. I'll follow up with you afterwards, but there's right. a number to choose from. We we will do that. We we will put that link in the show notes. So just go to the show notes for this episode and we'll, we'll link to uh to that to that app as well. His name is Ryan Frederick. The company name is here, H-E-R-E. You can learn all about Ryan and here at here.life. So the website is here.life. The book is Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life. The expert training session is February 15th, 2023 in the Entree Architect Network. Um, also, Ryan, I noticed on your website, you have a an assessment, uh, Right Place Assessment that you have. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that is and how that works? Yeah. Thanks for, for uh, bringing that up, Mark. So in my book, I have this assessment tool that basically allows you to step one is where, where is my alignment with my current place? And I got all this feedback uh, from readers. They're like, we really like that. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's make that, let's put it online. Uh, Cause that's a quick way of, of establishing, am I in the right place? And so glad I have. It's been because um, what it does in just a few minutes allows people, like we we talked about earlier, Mark, to think about place not just as these physical dimensions and not just a financial asset, but no, it has this broader uh, uh, key influence in our lives and allows people to go through just a series of a few questions and start to say where are they in purpose and social connection and how et cetera and how does it tie back to place and and then. It gives people a chart when it's done, as as well as a series of recommend recommendations depending on kind of where you fall in this particular area. And I, I found that to be helpful to spark, you know, dialogue for people. Actually, I actually think it could be a really useful exercise for some of not only your the architects here listening, but as a tool for for their clients. Yeah. Okay, where thinking. are you? Let's just take a look at this. Let's see where you know. Let's start a conversation around this. Um, and and I encourage, yeah, it's, it's it's easy to take. It's available on the website. A um, couple other things too. I'd mention is I do um, I, I provide do a blog uh, every other week now on 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 consumer content around this intersection of place and healthy longevity. And so I think there's there may be some some relevant content for your listeners there that they would appreciate and sign up for that as well. And then. Uh, just like any entrepreneur, um, I am in the process now of of doing some uh, in person workshops. Great. And 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 what did one recently? You know, here in the Austin area, I had uh, people um, actually intergenerational people in their twenties, thirties, also people in their sixties and seventies, and so on. And and I also had what I would call um, the helpers. And in this first one, we have another one in another week or so here, but we had. Um, uh, a real estate uh, agent was there, and we also had a couple uh, wealth advisors. And so, if you are someone that's really jazzed about this content, this idea of helping people think more deeply about place, if you're uh, interested in going deeper, you know, perhaps with some clients, I'm going to be doing some of these workshops in other parts of the country. But feel free to reach out, out reach out to me directly if this is an area of interest. Um, I'll give you my email as well, and that's just Ryan R Y A N at here, H-E-R-E dot life. It's the best way, to, best way to reach me. So there's a few different ways to engage and what, just to bring it back full circle, Mark, what I, what I really hope to be a spark, uh, a, a movement here. Um, there's there's a you know, closing thought here. There's a, a, about 20 years ago, 
Dan Buettner uh, traveled the world through National Geographic, and he came back and published a book called Blue Zones. And, and what he shared was actually people, uh, there are places in, in the world that have outside longevity, but also outsize what I'll call health span level of, 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 of just quality of health. And he identified five different areas in the world. Uh, one in Italy, actually a place in Southern California, place in Japan, a couple others. And, and it's a really valuable message that has, has, I think, just gained steam over time, this blue zone concept. But I think there's a gap right now because most people aren't necessarily willing to pick up shop and move to Japan or you know, off to Sardinia. A bigger question is how can we create our own blue zones? Right. And I think there's that's what I'm talking about is how can we be intentional, create our own blue zones for the right chapter that we're in? Because it changes over time. And I think architects can be a key part of making that all happen. Yeah, certainly we can contribute to that, both in the work that we do individually, but also to inspire others to also uh, look at their world around them uh, and inspire them to to look in these these ways. And uh, And if we all do that little bit, right, the world gets better. And so- uh, I appreciate you, Ryan, for the work that you do, the, the work that you've been doing for decades. Uh, I love the, the the shift to, and and obviously it's it's been an evolution, but the that you're focusing on our world as well, right? That it's that it's uh, we're all about place and creating place, and I love uh, that how we come to it from different places and end up in the same place, and I think it is. A, a time where that is very, very needed. And so I appreciate you for being out there, talking about it, doing the work that you do, and for coming by here at Entree Architect Podcast and sharing your knowledge. You bet. Well, I, you know, kudos to the movement that you've created and, and the spark and even the more recent developments. I, I, I remember when when I spoke at your conference and the, the I think it was 1221. It was a 1220. 12, was that 12, the date? 12, 12, 22, 22 was 10 yeah, years. Okay. 12, 12. So this, this, uh, awaited and, and now the tools that you have to make it even easier for, for the community to connect and also the community within specific niches. Not, I think, I believe that this ageless design is not a niche. It's something that every architect should have in their yeah. tool belt, but some will dive deeper than others. And so to make that uh, more easily accessible is, a is a, is a service, you know, that will incrementally, uh, make everything better. So gr- grateful for what you're creating as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. And uh, and you're welcome back anytime. So as, as we uh, dive deeper into this stuff, I will uh, love to have you come back and talk more. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback, share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say, hey, take a listen to this episode of Entree Architect podcast, because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast, entrearchitect.com slash podcast. 
Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you like this podcast, if you like Entree Architect podcast, I think you'll love all the podcasts at Gable Media. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. My name is Mark Arlapage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate you. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. 
<laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.